When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. You're listening to the Chicago Audible Podcast, changing up the way Bears fans stay up to date on their favorite team since 2015. Now get ready. Because it's time to bear down. Welcome, Bears fans, to the first ever playoff edition of the Chicago Audible podcast. It only took 337 episodes to finally begin talking about a postseason game. A huge shout out to everyone who's been with us from the start. And of course, if you're a new listener, I want to welcome you aboard. I'm your host, Will DeWitt, and if you can't tell, I am more than amped up for this game week. The Bears have won nine of their last ten. The defending champion Philadelphia Eagles are coming into town in a do-or-die situation, and I think I speak for everyone when I say, let's go. So with that, it's time to meet our first playoff opponent in eight years. To help us meet the Eagles, I sat down with Zach Rosenblatt. He's an Eagles beat writer from NJ.com. He also hosts an Eagles podcast called The No Huddle Show. He provided his first-hand perspective of Philly's season and provided some great insight on the team. So no more messing around. Let's go ahead and just jump right into that discussion. Zach, I want to thank you for joining us today. Just to begin, I have a very important question for you. I could not help but notice that you're an alum of the University of Arizona, so I must know, does it bother you when Chicago Bears fans use Bear Down? It's funny you say that because I that it completely slipped my mind the other day when uh, I saw you know the Eagles needed the Bears to help them out to make the playoffs and uh, there was there was somebody in the in the media who tweeted something or someone who's a fan who tweeted something like uh, he changed his name to Bear Down John or something like that I'm like are you are you doing that because of Nick Foles or something and he said no it's, <laughs> I mean it's the Bears and Nick Foles I'm like oh yeah that's right so I, I get it doesn't really bother me but it's just gonna be. It, I, 
if I hear it while I'm out in Chicago, it's going to be a little jarring because I'm used to hearing that in the context of the University of Arizona. Exactly. I was just curious because sometimes on social media, you get a few of those uh, U of A people saying like, no, that's our thing. Please leave it alone. <laughs> so I was just curious of kind of your story behind it. But getting back to some serious things and getting to this football game, because we have a big one up coming up here on Sunday. I want to begin with Nick Foles. Uh, despite that chest injury that he suffered on Sunday, he's set to start. And since taking over for Carson Wentz in week 15, he's played very well. He's completing 74% of his passes. He has a two to one touchdown to interception ratio. And of course, uh, last week, very efficient, 25 straight passes. So what has Foles brought to this offense over the last three weeks to kind of get him in a groove? It is crazy that we're kind of doing the same dance that we did last year with him. He, uh, he didn't look that good in those first two weeks when he started when Carson Wentz was out, and he admitted that there was maybe some carryover from the Super Bowl, and he was putting a little too much on himself. And I don't know, he he just comes in and and beyond it even goes beyond like his performance. It's he comes in and all of a sudden everybody around him is playing well. The defense just shut out the Redskins. I know the Redskins aren't great, but the defense has played really well the last few weeks. They forced turnovers where they weren't doing that all season. Uh, the offensive line is healthy finally. You know the the receivers. Alshon Jeffrey has been having uh, his best portion of the season these last few weeks when he was kind of a non-factor for a while so uh, while Nick Foles has been fantastic like the guys around him are playing better than they have all season they're coming together in kind of the same way they did last season but beyond that Nick Foles you know Carson Wentz was clearly dealing with something he wasn't especially towards the end he wasn't really performing up to what like you expect out of Carson Wentz but one thing Nick Foles has that Carson Wentz has this but it's a little different is Foles has like uh a willingness to take more risks, I think, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of like throwing the ball down the field away, Foles, like he trusts Alshon Jeffrey enough to throw the, just throw the ball up and hope he goes and gets it. You know, there, there was a play uh, in his first game against the Rams where uh, ND Sue was, you know, bearing down on him. He couldn't really see in front of him because he was coming at him so intensely and Foles just threw it up in the air and, and both Nelson Aguilar and Alshon Jeffrey were able to uh, get in, in, in the right area and Alshon Jeffrey came down with it. And it's just like, those balls are just connecting where I don't know if they were before. And uh, all of a sudden this team, just has like another, it's swagger back. It has a different energy and the offense is just moving. You know, they, they're really bad in the first quarter for most of the season. I think before Nick Foles entered the fray, I think they've been held scoreless in 10 of 13 first quarters. Wow. Uh, yeah. That, I mean, that's not exactly a recipe to win. I, I saw Correct. a stat the other day and I think over the last two seasons, I believe they're like something like, 15 to 20 and 0 when they score in the first quarter at all so that kind of just says everything they've scored in the first quarter of the last three weeks so when they're not getting three and outs constantly which they were for a little while there with Wentz I think you know the things they weren't doing well before all of a sudden they're doing well now is there anything that defenses have done uh, in order to kind of slow him down or to get him in a little bit of trouble? Because obviously uh, seeing those three picks in three weeks is enticing from Chicago's perspective since we're coming into the game, you know, leading the NFL with interceptions on defense. Um, so is it something that defenses have done or is it just his aggressive mentality and mindset? This The kind of dichotomy of Nick Foles is that he's – at his best, he looks like the Super Bowl MVP that we've seen. And at his worst, he looks like a guy that, okay, you get why he's a backup quarterback. And even in his great games, he still has throws sometimes where you're like, that's not the Nick Foles I just saw from last week. Are we about to have another bad Nick Foles game? He had, he threw his interception pretty early in the game this last week, and it was a pretty bad throw. Was behind the guy. He's had a couple bad throws, but the defense has done their job in like not letting that turn into anything. So uh, while, you know, I don't even know how you prepare for Nick Foles, to be honest, because you just don't know which Nick Foles you're going to get in a given week. And the Eagles coaching staff, for whatever reason, just does a better job of uh, 
building the offense around Nick Foles and like, you know, shortening the playbook and making it easier for him to operate than maybe they do with Carson Wentz where there's more things going on and they kind of let him do his own thing. So something about the way this coaching staff uses Nick Foles makes him a little unpredictable, even though he's not necessarily like a mobile quarterback or anything like that. Sure. And you've talked about uh, some of the receivers and everyone else stepping up. And this is especially true with the guys on the outside. I see over the last three weeks when he targets an Alshon Jeffrey or a Nelson Aguilar, he has a pass rating of over 137. What have what kind of challenges do those wide receivers bring to a defense on any given week? I know Alshon Jeffrey a little bit, of course, from his time <laughs> here, but uh, just a little bit of your insight from what he can do in Philadelphia's offense would be greatly beneficial. Well, I'm, I'm sure Alshon was like this when he was in Chicago, too, but he just has like this confidence about him where he, I think a couple weeks ago, even I think it might have even been in the midst while they were struggling, where he, he says, I have the best hands in the NFL, and I tell them, just throw it up, and I'm going to go get it. And I don't know if he has the best hands in the NFL necessarily, but uh, the, the the other part about uh, if you throw the ball up and, and it's if within reasonable distance for Alshon to go get it, like he's going to get it. He's one of the best receivers in the NFL at acrobatically like pulling in a, a catch that like he has to reach up for and like keeping his feet in bounds. Right. And, and I mean, I mean, he did that in Chicago, obviously when he was at his best and he wasn't hurt and he, he wasn't, they weren't really targeting him that much for a lot of the season. And I don't know something about him. He's just gotten back into a groove, something about him and Nick Foles. I think over their last five games, which counts the Super Bowl and the NFC championship together, I think they have like five touchdowns and like a ridiculous amount of yardage. And then it, the previous in all the games he's played with Carson Wentz this season, they like almost don't even match it. So that's he, interesting. He, he yeah. uh, here in Chicago years ago, 2015 or 2014, I should say, uh, or actually it could have even been 2013 years. This escaped me. They're all mediocre seasons, <laughs> but he had the same thing with Jay Cutler. Couldn't really get into a groove, but with our backup, Josh McCown that season is when he really started to step up. So that's interesting to me that that's kind of the same story there in Philadelphia. Yeah. And, you know, he, he's not, he's not necessarily, I mean, he, he's not a very talkative guy as you guys right. know out there, but he, he is clearly really confident in himself. And, and, uh, I don't know, just something about when Nick, he, Nick Foles is out there, he, he just plays better. He might, he probably won't say that, but I mean, it also helps that beyond Alshon doing his thing, you know, they also have, I mean, you mentioned Nelson Aguilar. He, the last couple of weeks, he's kind of become the deep threat that they haven't had this season they they signed Mike Wallace with hopes of him becoming that and then he got injured in the second week and even before that he wasn't really showing that much and they kind of just were throwing it to Zach Ertz almost every play which is okay when you have Zach Ertz but Nelson Aguilar you know he had an 80 something yard touchdown against the Texans and he's kind of their most dynamic weapon on offense and he's in a groove right now and you know when they have all these guys firing in all cylinders and you have Zach Ertz and they have a rookie tight end named Dallas Goddard and when they run 12 personnel with two tight ends uh, their offense has been almost unstoppable. So uh, that that's a big part of, you know, they have all these pieces that fit so well together. And then out of the backfield, you know, I, I was someone who wrote off Darren Sproles this year, and it was a shame on me for doing that because people have been doing that his whole career. But this dude, you know, he got hurt in the first week. He kept re-injuring his hamstring. He missed 10 straight games. We all were wondering why they didn't put him on IR. Then he comes back, and he's kind of been a driving force behind the offensive production lately. You know, he's been a weapon out of the backfield. He's been their most consistent runner. And all, all of that combined has just kind of helped Nick Foles get into a groove, too. Yeah, and speaking of that backfield, the Eagles, at least what I've noticed, are kind of utilizing three different backs. You have Josh Adams, Wendell Smallwood, and like you mentioned, Darren Sproles. Adams, he has the most attempts, but the lowest yards per carry at only 2.7 over the last three weeks. And all three backs are similar in terms of production because they all near about 100 rushing yards over that span. And additionally, they all kind of partake coming out of the backfield as receivers. 21 catches and nearly 200 receiving yards over the last three weeks as well for this trio. So what's your take on the three-back system and its overall effectiveness? 
last year they they did the running back by committee thing like from start to finish. You know, they added JJ. He was part of a committee with LeGarrette Blunt and Corey Clement, and uh, even Wendell Small a little bit earlier in the season. And this year, you know, the running backs they kept getting hurt or they weren't being productive. And all of a sudden, Josh Adams, an undrafted rookie, he emerged about midway through the season, and they started using him in a way they haven't used a running back in a few years. He was getting 20 carries a game, playing pretty well. Then he's kind of slacked off the last couple weeks as Darren Sproles came back, and now they've gotten back to that running back by committee thing, and it's working because you have Darren Sproles who brings the pass catching and and the ability to you know get short yardage and make big plays, and Wendell Smallwood who randomly you know he he barely made the roster this year, and now all of a sudden he's a really good pass catching back, and he's done pretty well running the ball recently, and then then you throw in Josh Adams who's a really tough runner, and they trust him quite a bit for a guy who's an undrafted rookie, and they kind of complement each other really well, and when they, they don't necessarily need those running backs to get 100 yards. But they need them to be able to kill the clock and not lose yardage, and you know when it's when it's third and short or second and short to get those yards. And they've done a better job of that the last couple of weeks. Now, looking at your offensive line, they played rather well over the last three weeks. Actually, you know, for the I would say a decent portion of the season as well. But over the last three weeks, uh, they've less uh, they've allowed less than a handful of sacks. Uh, not a glaring amount of pressure is given up either. And I know that the Bears, of course, they can dial up pressure from you know multiple angles, both inside and out. So can you give us the kind of the scoop here, the state of the offensive line, any vulnerabilities? Weirdly, one of their vulnerabilities would be Jason Peters, which is crazy to say considering this, the dude's going to be in the Hall of Fame. But he's 36 years old. He's been battling various injuries all season. And Week to week, he's not always looked like himself. Or some weeks, he is his dominant self, and he's been pretty good the last couple weeks. But you know, this is a Bears uh, defense that is a really good pass rushing, obviously, and they have a lot some great athletes. And he kind of has struggled with the elite athletes, so that'll be something to watch. And that left guard, you know, they've went back and forth between Steven Wisniewski and Isaac Sayamalo. Uh, Sayamalo is injured, so Wisniewski's been playing. He's been playing really well the last couple weeks, but he got benched early in the season because he was struggling. And that so the kind of left side is. The, the one you want to attack because on the right side, they might have the best right side of the offensive line in the NFL. I mean, Jason Kelsey is having one of his best seasons. Uh, Brandon Brooks just allowed his first sack since 2016 this last week. I and, saw uh, yeah. And, uh, Lane Johnson, you know, he was, he was injured to start the season too. And he, he probably struggled, I would say in the first like four to five weeks. And then he hasn't allowed a sack since then. So the, the right side of the offensive line, they, they, sh- they shut down JJ Watt last week, but the left side, you know, when Jason Peters can't, Stay at last the whole game. They have to put in their backup, uh, Halapuli Vati Vaitai, uh, Big V, and he struggles quite a bit. He's not very good. Um, and he kind of gets beaten pretty easily. So if Peters can't last the whole game, especially, that becomes a concern for sure. Well, congratulations on pronouncing that name so efficiently. I'm sure you've <laughs> had, had some practice this year. Had a lot of practice, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. We have one uh, backup inside linebackers, Joel E.A. Booneyway. Um, so I nice. understand completely that uh, so you have to work on some of those names. But kudos to you because uh, highly impressive right off the bat here. Uh, one last question on the offense. Uh, since Foles took over, I noticed that the Eagles have been very impressive on third down. Uh, they're converting on nearly 50%, um, and that's despite fake, facing the fifth most third downs in the league. So what's been behind the success here? Like I mentioned earlier, it, it, a lot of it has just come down to guys like Nelson Aguilar stepping up and Alshon Jeffrey and the running backs doing a better job. And they – you know, they, they were going three and out quite a bit when Carson Wentz was in there. The running running game wasn't really working. They would they would run the ball, run the ball, and then they would go, th- you know, then they would throw an incomplete pass or something. So it's just, they've just been more efficient with their time. They've they've drained the clock. They've been able to, you know, Golden Tate hasn't really quite made the impact that they, they would have wanted, but he has helped in terms of like creating space for the running, for the uh, running backs. And I, I just think a lot of it just comes down to guys getting open and doing their job maybe a little bit better than they were earlier in the season. 
Sure. All right, I want to go ahead and just go ahead and turn our conversation over to the Eagles defense. And they had a very strong day, like you mentioned, against the Redskins on Sunday, getting that rare shutout in the NFL. But outside of that, it's been an overly not a great year for Philly on defense, ranked 23rd in yards allowed and a modest 12th in points allowed. So can you share, to kind of kick off our defensive uh, discussion here, uh, say the Sparknotes version of the story of that defense? Yeah, the the Spark Notes version of this defense is that they've dealt with more injuries than I've ever seen before. You know, I think they've lost like five stars. How personalized can a financial plan be when it's created by one of those robo-advisors? Plugging in standard algorithm to calculate insurance need and future wealth of random human client. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting to know you always comes first. Together, we'll create a financial plan based on your specific goals. Find a local Farm Bureau advisor at fbfs.com slash protect. It's your future. Let's protect it. ...that were there in the beginning of the season, the secondary in particular, you know, they've lost Jalen Mills and Ronald Darby, who were their starting corners all of last year, most of this year, lost Rodney McLeod early in the season, who was a pretty important part of their defense. And they've kind of had to fill the gaps with with young guys who have not proven at all. You know, they... they They've got this fourth-round rookie named Avante Maddox who started at safety, outside corner, and inside corner at points this season. He's been really good at all three of them. The development of him has been huge. Uh, they signed a guy named Craven LeBlanc who actually played for the Bears. That's yep. right. Uh, and he's, he's played really well. He's kind of solidified himself as their nickel corner. And Rasul Douglas, who's a fourth-round rookie, who couldn't even get on the field the first half of the season. And that's kind of the secondary nutshell. You know, there was a point, I think, against the Saints where they were starting two practice squad players and, and, and then LeBlanc, who had just signed like the week before, and the, none of those guys have been on the roster the month before that. So you, there was a stretch in the middle of the season where the defense was struggling quite a bit just because they were, they were throwing guys out there that probably had no business being on a roster. And, and LeBlanc's the only one left out of that trio that, that was there before. So a, a, lot, a lot of their struggles had to do with the secondary, I would say. But And the defensive line was a little inconsistent. But in the second half of the season, you've seen Fletcher Cox has been utterly dom- dominant. Michael Bennett has been a steal. They traded a fifth-round pick for him somehow. And he, I think he finished with nine sacks. He's just been a stabilizing force in, in that in that defensive line, and the linebackers have been okay. But that that's kind of been the key the last few weeks. But over the whole season, a lot of it had to do with the health. I mean, I, you can make excuses for teams all the time, but I, I've never seen a team lose as many players as they did. And I think Jim Schwartz did a pretty good job of weathering that storm. Yeah, injuries can take a toll on any team, and I definitely understand. Uh, here in Chicago, the last two years before this one, we've been like number one or number one and two in the NFL with uh, money spent on IR, so I can definitely <laughs> understand how it can derail a season. Um, but beginning here with the defensive line, I wanted to go ahead and just kind of get your thoughts on some of these guys because you have a Michael Bennett, a Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Chris Long, Donna Sue, and then the Bears' offensive line, of course, they're no slouch, but – there's no secret as well that they're going to be tested this week, especially as the energy level rises in the playoffs. So with all those different playmakers up front, what challenges will this defensive line present Chicago? It all starts with Fletcher Cox. He, you know, his goal this season was to win defensive player of the year. That's not going to happen now because Aaron Donald has just been ridiculous, but he finished with his first double digit sack season. I think he was second in the NFL in pressures. Um, he, he's just amazing. You know, he, he gets double teamed and he still pressures the quarterback. He creates opportunities for his teammates and a big part of their success. you know, they, they lost Eric Barnett earlier this season and he was a starting defensive end. And they, they normally like to do a defensive end rotation where they have four guys and they all play equal snaps. And they've kind of had a forced to play Michael Bennett and Brandon Graham starter snaps. With Chris Long kind of working his way in there. And 
it's working still. You know, Chris Long had one of his best games of the season a couple weeks ago where he had two sacks and a couple quarterback hits. And he's this is a dude who's 34 years old and has been thinking about retiring for a couple years. And you have Michael Bennett who, again, they acquired him for a fifth-round pick. I don't know if anybody expected him to have the impact he's had. Uh, he's just a really, really good pass rusher. He's, one, he, he's still one of the best pass rushing defensive ends in the NFL, and he's just so smart when he's out there. I think Jim Schwartz said he has a great spider, <laughs> spidey sense is what he <laughs> said today, which is pretty funny, but it – these guys just know what they're doing. They're all veterans. You know, they've all been there. Brendan Graham has made some huge plays. He's part of the reason why they won that Super Bowl, and he's among the league leaders and pressures. And they can just bring so many different things at you on the defensive line. And and Jim Schwartz is great at showing different looks and rotating guys in and out to you know keep every, everybody a little off balance. And it's when their defense plays well, it's because of the defensive line. And when they don't play well, the rest of the defense kind of suffers. Sure. And moving over to the linebackers, I want to know what are the strengths and weaknesses of guys like a Nigel Bradham and a Jordan Hicks? Uh, I noticed that they combined for over 180 total tackles this season. The issue with Hicks is he can, he struggles to stay healthy throughout his career. I think he's only played one full season. He missed like five games in a row this year with a calf injury. He came back last week or the last two weeks, and he, he was pretty good. Uh, Nigel Bradham, uh, he... He, he is, he's a good playmaker, but he's kind of has a rep around here for dropping uh, potential interceptions. He drops quite a few of them. He did another one last week, but he's really good. And a guy that's emerged is Camus Grugier Hill. Uh, he's the third linebacker, pretty much replaced Michael Kendricks. They usually don't play more than two linebackers. They use nickel defense a lot, but he's, he's a, he's a really good playmaker. He's around the ball a lot. Uh, he's a really good athlete and, you know, the linebackers, they don't really put, maybe necessarily put up the numbers that you expect out of like your best linebackers. They put up the tackles, but you don't really force that many turnovers. But they are around the ball, and the Eagles' run defense has been pretty good this year. I believe it's number six in the NFL, and a lot of that has to do with those guys. Now, moving to the secondary, you've mentioned it. They've been in flux all season long, and the anchor, of course, being the leader, Malcolm Jenkins, over in the back end here. Um, I think one can say that the secondary is probably the weakness of the entire defense, but like you've mentioned, they've also kind of have an uptick in their play as of late. You have two former Bears. You have Corey Graham, Cravon LeBlanc, um, and you have guys like Douglas and Maddox who are on the outside now. And by my count, only two touchdowns uh, allowed through the year in the final three weeks of the season. Uh, what should we expect from the secondary? Do they play a lot of uh, zone man? Does it vary by week? Because uh, with you know Mitchell Trubisky, sometimes we try to see some defenses uh, just man up and then also kind of confuse them with some zone looks i'm curious of what the eagles usually deploy so jim schwartz's philosophy with the cornerbacks is kind of a, a, a sticky issue around here the fans aren't huge fans of the way you know he has the receivers kind of play off of the i mean as the corners play off the receivers have been he gives them a lot of space so they're able to catch the ball and they, they generally like to employ really good tackling cornerbacks and they've kind of not had that as much this year so they'll give them space so they can get the ball and then they they pretty much don't give up big yardage they try and keep it to small chunks and that's kind of it's a lot a little zone a little man um but you know that they 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 do the nickel defense quite a bit and michael jenkins you know he he's truly their defense doesn't operate if he's not out there and he hasn't missed a play i think since he almost since he's played for the eagles or something something ridiculous like that but he you know he'll play safety he'll play some corner he'll move up and play linebacker and he he allows everybody else to take risks and you know Razul douglas is a guy who he he didn't play earlier in the season, but he, he he led the team in interceptions with three interceptions, and a lot of that has to do because he he takes risks, he goes after the ball, and they have guys like Malcolm Jenkins and Corey Graham is a veteran. He probably shouldn't be starting at this stage of his career, but you know he they kind of help if if Razul makes a mistake. So a, a lot of it has to do with uh, what Malcolm can do is is what contributes to what the corners do. 
Now, just like the offense, the defense, they have been red hot on third down. Top in the league, in fact, over the final three weeks of the regular season. And they've completely shut down Washington in this regard on Sunday. Additionally, on the year, they've ended up being the best red zone defense in the NFL. So what are some of the driving forces behind the defense's success in these crucial aspects? The corners, you know, when Jalen Mills was, uh, wasn't was hurt, you know, the, he would be give up big plays. And then when the field shortens, this group, especially Jalen Mills before he got hurt was really good at this, but the guys now too, they, they just step up their game when they're in the red zone. When the field shortens, they, they're really smart about where they need to be. And, uh, you know, you have the defensive line. That's kind of their, their, their comfort zone. They, this is where they force a lot of fumbles this season. That's where Fletcher Cox kind of wrecks havoc. And they just really don't make mistakes when they get, when the other teams get into the red zone. A lot of times the mistakes are coming way earlier in the field and teams are able to, you know, get those big plays that they haven't really gotten the last couple of weeks. And a lot of it just comes down to the, these are veterans who have been in these big moments and you know they beat the Falcons in the playoffs last year they held them on four straight plays at like the one yard line and they've done things like that again this year and uh, a, lot, a lot of it just comes down to buckling down and it's just a veteran group of guys even though they have a young secondary uh, they have enough guys in there that they they know what they're doing when the when the field gets shorter. Is there anything else in either offense defense even special teams I know we haven't talked about that yet about the Eagles that we should know heading into this week? I would say you know, in terms of the run pass uh, balance, you know, they're, they're not afraid to throw it every single play if they have to. But, you know, it, the Eagles lately, they've been running the ball quite a bit uh, to drain the clock. They did that against the Redskins. They did that against the Texans. It was kind of a big sticking point earlier the season where they were kind of passing it a lot. But Doug, Doug Peterson, you know, he'll, he'll, they'll, they'll run it a lot if they have to or they'll pass it quite a bit if they have to. And you, it's kind of unpredictable at this stage, especially with Nick Foles. Like I said, they're really creative with that playbook. But I, I, I think in this game, I think I wouldn't be surprised if they ran the ball a lot to try to keep it out of the offense's hands. All right. I just have one more question for you. It's a two-parter. It's how I end every Meet the Opponent episode. And the first part of this question is, what is the formula for an Eagles win this week? The formula for Eagles win is Nick Foles doesn't turn the ball over. Um, he, you know, they, and the, they force a couple turnovers on Mitchell Trubisky. I think that that's a huge thing. If Mitchell Trubisky has a, has a big game and he's completing passes and playing like he did earlier in the season, I don't think the Eagles have much of a chance. Cause if, if the, if they, this team isn't really built to come back from big deficits as they struggle, they've struggled with that all season. And I, I think if Mitch Trubisky comes out and those first couple drive scores and the Eagles don't score in the first quarter, uh, I think that's kind of how you're going to find out how the Eagles' day is going to go. And, uh, of course, uh, the converse of this, and you may have already alluded to it, but uh, what's the formula that's going to lead to an Eagles loss? Yeah, again, I, I think that a lot of that comes down to Nick Foles not making too many mistakes and uh, if they if they aren't able to contain Mitch Trubisky. And especially if they, if they can't stop Tariq Cohen and Jordan Howard, you know, there's been some teams that have been able to run on them. If they can't contain that combination and – I think that's going to be where you see the issues being. All right, Zach, that's all I have for you today. I really do appreciate you taking the time to join us. You know, this is a weekly segment that I thoroughly enjoy hosting, and I know that is one that our listeners love. So on behalf of all of us, I just want to say thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. All right, well, hey, take care, and remember, bear down. Bear down. That'll do it, Bears fans. Hopefully this episode started your 2019 on the right foot and that you found Zach's insight to be of value. And I just want to thank everyone who did end up reviewing our show before the new year, and it really does mean a lot to all of us here at the Chicago Audible. I did notice that we were short of our 400 goal. However, 
I also discovered that those reviews were only from the United States. And when I compiled the reports worldwide, we more than exceeded our goal. So on Thursday, during our preview episode, I'll announce who won our New Year giveaway. But I'll talk to you soon. And until then, bear down, Chicago. Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. 